Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Linda Hoover, who is the best teacher and trainer you've probably never heard of. Linda focuses on the foundation of a horse and has helped horses succeed from nearly every discipline. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Well, hi, Linda. Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast. Really enjoy having you on as a guest. Well, thank you, Lynn. I'm very honored to be here and be able to share with your audience some of the things that I have in my background, as well as my experiences with horses that may be able to help them along their journey with horses as well. Well, you have a really unique background, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about a little bit is not very many people have the opportunity that you had to come through so many different disciplines, so many different types of experiences with horses, and then to find this thread that ultimately carried you all the way through to where you are now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started with horses and how you came to sort of the path that you're on now. Okay. I started out actually riding Morgans and saddle seat and also a little bit with saddlebreds. And I became a little disillusioned with that world and had met some people who were eventing. And so then I took the saddlebred who couldn't even follow a trail and made her an event horse. Well, kind of an event horse. <laughs> uh, that wasn't exactly her forte. But from there, I worked for a cutting horse trainer. I've worked for a racehorse trainer. I've shown quarter horses, hunters, you know, did a little more eventing, dressage. Uh, and at, at first I was thinking I always wanted to take something to a world championship. And then I began to realize that all of this set me up for what I do now, which is to understand that the common denominator is the horse. Mm-hmm. And many times we can go to somebody's tack room and we can say that's an Arab person, that's a quarter horse person, that's a dressage person based on their tack. And some of the tack is very, is obviously very different and has opposing forces on the horses depending on what somebody wants to do. And yet we miss that it's a common denominator is the horse. So then I had the good fortune of beating Buck Branham in back in the early 90s. Wow. And then I went, there's the missing link. Right. I had a gentleman when I was a teenager who said horses needed to be mannerly, but he lacked the feel and the timing that someone like Buck had. Mm. And that was the part that, you know, filled it's like, ah. I've always found horses that were a little challenging to be interesting. Mm -hmm. So I got more into that, and that took me farther away from the show ring, which ended up being okay. Right. So then once I met Ray, I mean, Buck, then it led me to Ray Hunt, ridden with Peter Campbell, Joe Walter, spent a lot of time with Tom Curtin. Yes. And so those gentlemen I owe a lot to for giving me more insights. Then I had the good fortune of meeting Dr. Garrett Horschman who has been the leading proponent speaking out against Rocur, hyperflexion, mm-hmm. LDR, low, deep, and round in the dressage world. And he shared with me and taught me more about biomechanics. And so blending that, we had um, from you know the Vicara world, more about the inside of the horse, mm-hmm. and then understanding the biomechanics. Then that gave me more of a total picture. That's really interesting. And when you, meeting Buck in the early 90s, that was kind of at the beginning of his clinician career as I recall I would think that he must have been pretty pretty fresh out of the gate at that point how did was he basically in your area and someone recommended you go or it was really kind of dumb luck somebody just said something about you know this buck guy and I'm like yeah yeah really it's like who's this you know I had no idea about that whole world right you know because my background at that point would have more you know quarter horses stock horses so I didn't even know that world existed and I remember going there that first year and um Paul I can't think of his last name. He's working for him at the time. I'm kind of like, well, what's going on there? He's flagging some horses. Completely clueless. Right. And he was so kind to be able to explain to me what was going on. 
And it's just like, wow, you're seeing the changes in the horses then. But at that time, Buck was doing five-day clinics, and he'd oh, come wow. once a year. And so I had 360 days to screw it up by myself <laughs> right. till the next clinic, and I went, oh. oh. He kind of meant that, maybe. Right. Then I'd go take that and work with it for a while. For a while. And then at the same time, you're still, are you still in the show world at that point, or are you starting to make that transition into the difficult horses that are interesting, or... Was it just not that linear? It was just kind of all blending together at that point. I had stopped showing horses a number of years before that, and I had actually moved into selling horses. Oh, um, wow. Maybe some horses off the track. Right. You know, find it or just you know locally find a nice prospect, green horse, and bring it along and sell it. And then I was doing a little bit of training on the side, but that was also getting a reputation for working with the more challenging horses. Right. Right. And I didn't realize you'd work for a race trainer back in the day. so I did, a quarter horse trader. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, uh, as you know, I also work with Lope, and mm-hmm. we do a lot with the X-Race horses. We particularly like the war horses, the ones that have been running for a long time, because they're the most interesting of them all. Right, exactly. You know, because they've had, to, they've had to kind of carry themselves in odd ways to have this very athletic career for much longer than most horses ever would at the mm-hmm. track. So, so I find that really interesting about you. When I first met you, I could tell you were the kind of person who really liked interesting horses. You just, I noticed when you were teaching or you would get right to sort of the heart of something with a horse and a rider. And it was never, if a horse was presenting something that someone else might think was flamboyant, you were always like, oh, that's really interesting. Like you didn't get particularly concerned about that. And uh, that's why I always enjoyed watching you right from the start. It was like, she she really gets these horses, you know. Well, we, we've invited them to our world. Yeah. And we need to help them fit in. Yeah, totally. And I work a lot with life skills on horses and being able to help them understand how to fit into our world. Uh, so many times people just, th- through not knowing, make horses wrong for what they don't know. Right. And it, it's getting so that's really life in and outside the ring in order to help them be successful. And so, like, well, in particular, mm-hmm. one, this trip, I, help someone get that trailer loading to the next piece Mm -hmm. and now she's able to successfully load the horse by herself and take it somewhere right and that's huge it is huge if all i did was meet someone at the mounting block and it didn't matter how they got on or it didn't matter how they led the horse there there's that whole other part of her life that we're not even addressing that make up that horse's world so the more we can get that horse's world on the same page then the happier that horse is going to be and then he's more content now we're more safe we have a better partner and it's Mm -hmm. more enjoyable Right, and then I think a lot of people think of performance as being what they want the horse to maybe do in the show pen or mm-hmm. what they want to do with the horse, but they don't think of performance as really being this whole integrated part about how this horse, from the start, approaches his job, approaches being caught, approaches just the person in general. They don't see that partnership as starting until maybe they're in the show ring or they're on the trail ride, they're doing what they want to do with the horse and they don't realize how it really is starting like when you walk into the pen with the halter and that that's a very practical thing. Um, I think that when I first started learning about horsemanship in general, um, there's all different types of uh, schools of thought on that and maybe some of the ones that were a little more flamboyant or a little more televised, so to speak, would have a lot of odd rituals. Um, but the ones that were really quiet and just were like, hey, this is all about how you start with the horse. And you start with the horse like you start with a person when you go in and introduce yourself mm-hmm. and go leave together to go do something mm-hmm. together. And that's always what kind of hooked me in that approach. Because also I was working with horses that 
some of them had some trouble. I didn't maybe have a lot of experience at the time. Um, when I first started working with x-ray sources, I was totally not qualified to do that, total detail. So I had never been a trainer. Um, and so all I knew to do was kind of look at the horses and go, well, he seems to be uncomfortable about this and more comfortable about that and just kind of operate in the moment with the horse. And this kind of school of thought horsemanship really gave me an avenue to do that as opposed to this is the one way that you train a horse you need to have draw range you need to have this you need to have that the horse needs to jump a certain way it was more like what I think this horse kind of needs to go slow or this horse really he's he's not interested in jumping he wants to go trail ride I'm going to kind of go trail riding with him and so I always really appreciated that I think because I didn't come from a traditional showing background or performance horse background um so I just think that's really great that people like you got started so much sooner came from that kind of more performance-based world and then were able to bring this holistic approach really to a larger group of people who might not ever you they could be good riders Mm -hmm. they could even be trainers but if they haven't seen it from this perspective they miss these spots and horses maybe get a reputation for being troubled who really aren't they're just trying to communicate that they're uncomfortable or they need something a little different And you're so right, you make, you know, so many good points, you know, in that. And the more that we can look at them as an individual, that it's not just a horse, it's a horse with a different type of, each has different type of personalities like people. We all want to be understood. Yeah. And depending on their backgrounds, just like with people, some are more troubled, some are more going, some are more curious. How do we nurture the curiosity? You know, it's been said curiosity and fear are two sides of the same coin. We've seen it with horses. They're curious and they're fearful and they're curious and they're fearful. And how do we build on the curiosity and not the fear? Right. How can we, again, help them to fit in into our world? And some horses are more visual learners. They're going to do better whether they're working cattle or they've got trail mm-hmm. obstacles or they're jumping. Some horses uh, are willing to sort of, I say, play chess, work on more inter- intricate things can handle more of the dressage where it's more of the same, that they're on a flat level surface, the the environment's the same. Mm -hmm. It's always nice when we can cross train. Mm -hmm. It helps strengthen them, you know, physically with the cross training, but also mentally helping them to be more adaptable. Uh, I want my horses to be able to think in shades of gray so it's not black or white. I Mm -hmm. want them comfortable with how I'm going to approach things. Mm -hmm. They can depend on that, but I might want a slow walk. I might want a fast walk. I might want a collected walk. I might want to go work cattle, I might want to work on my refinement in the arena. And so I want that horse to be adaptable, but that's against a backdrop that he trusts how I'm going to approach things. So when he gets confused or is unsure, I'm there to help him sort things out. And you're adaptable as well. Like that's sort of the, uh, one of the primary things I think I've learned from you is that there is correctness in, in presentation of aids, there's correctness in rider position and rider posture, but there's also adaptability. Some horses need you to be a little softer in, in one part of the aid and a little firmer, or it might not look as picture perfect while you're helping that horse sort of find its balance, sort of find its center. But if the horse knows that you will adapt a little and really maybe break it down more slowly if that horse needs that, or allow that horse to to move forward a little bit quicker because he needs that in that moment to learn. I feel like that's when the horse really trusts you. So it it also makes the rider, the handler more adapted too in a, in a positive way. 
I kind of kid that if you want to learn to do 40 things at once, take up horses yeah. or take up riding. <laughs> right, exactly. Because we have to think about so many things, especially when we're on them. We have to think about our own position, which is influencing things. We need to think about where the horse is mentally, where he is physically. And we have to manage all of these aspects, you know, to be able to guide that horse, you know, to an outcome that works for both. And I'm really big on that the partnership needs to work for both in that we've got to be able to help that horse feel secure and understand his job at the same time we need to have that partnership work for us. So I'm going to have an accountability for a horse. I'm going to teach him his responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to have an accountability. I want him to develop some consistency in his responses. I want him when I lead him that he makes room for me. But I've taught him to do that. I want him when I stop that he doesn't run into me. I'm not one who's, I don't like them to rub their head on me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm going to say, you know, your space is over there. And someone else may be comfortable with them rubbing their head. Part of it for me is a safety aspect. Right. right. Uh, that I don't want, you know, a horse, if he's wearing an egg butt snaffle, to get it caught on my belt or something like that. Safety. And, or sometimes someone's showing and the horse doesn't know that, oh, I can't rub now, you're in your show clothes. Right, right. Yeah, right. I want to scratch his head. I want to understand he has needs. I just don't want him to use a scratching post. When he's using me for that, that partnership, that part doesn't work for me. Right, right. No, I totally get that too. And also, I always feel like there's a, a safety element so it's not that I necessarily want to be neurotic but I always have respect for the physical capability of the horse so a horse that's leaning its head into me even if it's a moment of affection were something to startle that horse in that moment and he popped his head up that proximity would not work for me at all like that right. would be right. something and it's not that I'm like so fearful of my horse I'm like I just I respect the power of their physique uh, their head specifically is, is sure. quite quite a quite a large amount of material there and that they are put on earth to be responsive, to to respond quickly to things. And sometimes things can happen out of the blue that no one could ever predict in terms of outside stimulation. So I always like to, I call it sort of setting the horse up for success, you know, and you respect that horse's ability as an animal to, you know, occasionally move a little quick. And so you're always setting them up for success so that you're not in a situation where, you could get hurt, but also where he would get scared because suddenly you just got knocked to the ground. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't like that either. Right. They don't They don't like it when we sort of disappear onto the ground or we get agitated too. So that's a little thing that I'm, I'm kind of big on. And also one of my huge pet peeves is wearing flip-flops near horses. This is like a jihad with me. I see so many people do that who are good, good horse people, good riders, but they're so relaxed with their horse in that physical space. And I'm I don't think I can ever quite do that in a way. That, to me, that feels disrespectful, again, in uh, an unintentional way. I would agree. We get complacent, and that's mm-hmm. when things happen. Right. I was talking to someone the other day, and they had done something they'd always done with their horse, and this time it ended up they got kicked and broke, his back, broke their back. Oh, jeez. It just happens that quick, and it's not that the horse intend to hurt us. They just do what horses do, and they do something, they react in that moment, and the next thing you know, we're hurt. So I'm like you, I want to respect what that horse is capable of, you know, physically, how they're hardwired, and to be able to acknowledge, you know, acknowledge and honor that he's allowed to be a horse. I don't expect him to always be the one to keep me safe in that I don't want him, I'd like to have trained him in a way that the things that he does is not easy, going to intentionally, right. um, you know, try to do something keeps us safe but I don't expect him at the end of the day that hit my safety and my flip-flops is his responsibility right totally. he might <laughs> get scared and stick a foot out sideways and step on my foot that's not his fault he did what horses do right, right. and I'm the one who's not prepared in that moment 
and we've all seen all sorts of things on YouTube that didn't work out right, when right. we didn't you know, acknowledge what horses are capable of. You won't see me sitting down cross-legged by a horse's front feet. No. Uh, I know that a lot of that goes on, but I know how quick they can get up. Right. Even the best of horses, and all it takes is once. Right. And somebody's really hurt. Somebody's really hurt. And I even have things like, again, I mean, I'm a pretty solid rider. I'm comfortable riding. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not about... Uh, being worried about that but even like let's say you're in a warm-up ring at a show or something like that and I see so many riders have got their feet out of the stirrups they've got a a foot hooked over the the -hmm. saddle horn or something Mm -hmm. along those lines and I just always feel like that is uh unintentionally you know these are confident riders and you don't want to ever take someone's confidence away but it's also this element of you do understand that were something to happen, there could be a chain reaction, and you're actually getting your horse in trouble. When right. you take a fall, when you can't help your horse, if something were to, again, startle them unexpectedly, I mean, you, it's not a question of how confident you are, how athletic you are. You, you just accidentally really scared your horse by your carelessness. There was an um, incident here at this farm where we're having this interview there's a covered round pen here and this was a couple years ago and we had I guess a ton of heavy rain Mm -hmm. and someone was in the round pen working and all of a sudden about 16 snakes just fell from the roof that had been kind of hiding out up there and yeah exactly and fortunately it was a very quiet horse and they were still on the ground with the horse and it was like whoa like that is not what you would want to be dealing with unexpectedly if you had your feet out of the stirrups or you were you know and that's the kind of thing that every once in a while happens it's out of the blue you can't make this stuff up yeah but there it is yeah and we know that riding at best and working with horses has an element of danger to it yes and it's taking calculated you know risk with things that we do when we we ride rather than what i'm going to say is walking in front of the bus Right. So for me, you know, I want to be able to help my horse, like you said. And if I'm out of position, then I can't be there. And then we've invited the horse to the dance, and, and it's our job to keep them safe. And then, yeah, we'll turn around and we'll put all the responsibility for safety on them. And then we're disappointed when we get hurt. Right. When, in fact, you know, they just got scared. Right. And Tom Curtin, uh, who I also really respect and, mm-hmm. of course, came to know because of you, he used to have this uh, great story that you'll kind of remember. He's like, well, what if you and I, Lynn, we went to town every day, and every time we went to town, something happened when you went into town with me. Like, mm-hmm. maybe uh, the police pulled us over, or we ended up in jail, or we got into fights. Pretty soon, you wouldn't want to go into town with me anymore because you would associate getting in trouble with being with me right and he was saying as the rider again totally inadvertent not trying to get the horse in trouble but things keep happening the horse starts to go whoa I don't I don't know about you Mm -hmm. when I'm with you we get in trouble and the same is true if you can help your horse stay out of trouble and help them feel good about themselves like when they're around you then they go I really like that person this person I trust this person when I'm not sure I'm going to look this person up because they're going to take me someplace good, or at the very least, they're going to help me through this. And that's something that people, I think, can miss if you get a little too fixated on, I want to ask my horse to do this thing for this specific purpose, rather than setting up this more um, uh, complete picture, rather than one specific move at this moment. Like, I want to get a canter pirouette, or I want to really be able to nail this cow working move and then you forget about kind of the whole picture that goes into that right 
Tom had also a good quote. He said, how does your horse feel about himself when he's with you? Nothing that. is more important than that to the horse. Right. And that's exactly, it sums up what you were talking about. And what happens over time, tying this back into what you said about, you know, when do we start influencing our horse? It's when we go to catch him. If every time the horse sees you and we've gotten him in trouble, then the next thing you know, we could like, oh, I don't want to be caught because that doesn't work out for me. Right. I see that with trailer loading. In my area, there's a lot of fox hunting. And the horses get to where... Uh oh, I don't want to, you know, get on the trailer because maybe the hunt's not working out for them as well as it could. Right. And then they don't want to be caught. Then you hear people that have to catch, they hook up the trailer before they can catch their horse because as soon as they hook up the trailer, then the horse doesn't want to be caught. Right. You know, they're not stupid. They see these this chain of events and they know. So I want it to be that when my horse sees me, he's like, "Hey, what are we gonna do today?" Not like, "Uh oh, it's yeah. you." Yeah. <laughs> this isn't gonna work out well for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, I also, what I do a lot in horse-wise is we focus on really simple things. So mm-hmm. I'll work with people on things like leading your horse. Mm-hmm. And that can sound to someone, again, who's a competitor, who's a very good rider, mm-hmm. you're very good with horses. It can sound ridiculous, like, oh, we're going back to not even kindergarten, but nursery school. But it's amazing how many times I see people when they're leading their horse where the entire relationship between them is manifest in what's going on in walking up the driveway where the person is aware or not aware of the patterns that they've gotten into. And it's not necessarily that people are doing it, quote, wrong. It's more like a lack of awareness about what that whole process has been for the horse. So the horse might be dragging back a little bit or the horse might be really distracted or the handler's distracted. You know, they're checking their phone and the horse is sort of, you know, sightseeing everywhere around and then if or something were to come up unexpectedly from behind the horse or a truck backfire you've got a scenario for the horse to kind of get away or whatever and then it's the horse's fault so it's those little little things I think that um, that's what I really enjoy about the horsemanship and you can do that even if you're not able to ride a lot you know a lot of people this spring because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. maybe couldn't ride as much or maybe they could only see their horses in the paddocks or whatever, depending on what their barn did. And uh, we did a little series of emails on things you can do, really simple mm-hmm. things that will actually move your horsemanship forward. And that's one of the uh, biggest things I feel like that I end up talking about. I feel a little silly, like, oh, yeah, haltering your horse. How you halter your horse is actually the start of the ride or whatever. And I learned a lot of that from, from you, I feel like. Well, without, think, without exception, horses ride like they lead. And that's what you point out. We can watch a horse lead, and it's like, is he behind the leg? He's dragging. Right. But then many times the person goes to stop, and the horse keeps going. Right. Um, does he always bend to the left? You know, does he always do a certain pattern? They have one posture. They don't have multiple personalities. They have one personality to multiple degrees. Mm-hmm. And so they ride absolutely like they lead. So you could, many times when I meet somebody, I'm watching them walk up, and I already know. I know which lead he's probably going to have trouble with various problems the more you can help that horse get on the same page so that the the idea is when when you're around these are the expectations not just when we happen to be interested right because when we don't have a place for the horse they're going to have a place for us right so sometimes horses are grazing and then somebody's like well you need to be in class you need to be doing this and then we kind of drop them and then the horse is off grazing again and yeah it's we're not present so how can they be present right and i think that's a big thing that uh, I always feel like you're always working on yourself, no matter what your level. I mean, you know, the top masters, they're always working on themselves. There's always something that you can see a little quicker or you can notice that you didn't quite notice before. 
and and you can bring that to your horse and the horses are aware when you're aware particularly if you're aware of their feet mm-hmm. i've had a situation where i'll be leading a horse that's pretty excited in trouble and maybe i'll look at okay well maybe we can swing the foreleg this way and that way and we can go aim for these little rocks or whatever and as soon as i start doing that the horse will start to calm down he might not be you know child safe at that point but he's he's aware that i'm aware of his feet and that i'm trying to help those feet feel better and but if you if you don't concentrate on the awareness and concentrate on developing your own skills and you too will level and plateau yes as the handler and i think that's sometimes um when people get hooked onto this stuff they they tend to love it but it can feel on at first like oh you're asking me to pay attention to every little thing and it's like pretty much for me it's my walking meditation you know we all know that that the still in the mind is a noble goal to have that for the to control your thoughts and it's very easy to get you know really distracted like so for me if i were to do sitting meditation i just fall asleep so i console myself with the fact that with my working with horses it's my walking meditation because i need to be fully present and what can happen a lot of times with people, they're not present, and then something happens, and they're like, <gasps> and now they're back. Right. But now they're usually back and scared. Right. And they weren't aware of circumstances that were, you know, shaping up. The horse always is going to notice more than we do. Tonight I was working with a horse, and, you know, 500 yards away, the horse is looking at something, and it took me a moment to go like, oh, yeah, there is a little something there. Right. But just how aware they are. And we need to help shape their thoughts and guide them. And when you talk about moving the feet, you know, as a prey animal, they learn through moving their feet. I mean, we even see that with children. Children learn better when you get them moving their feet and you teach them things Mm. that just having children sit and learn, they miss a part of their development. It needs to be done physically. And with horses, when we can guide their feet, we're able to start shaping where they're thinking. Mm -hmm. And then as we shape where they're thinking, then we're able to help them feel better. And then from there, we can go on to be able to do extraordinary things. Yeah. And so just as something as simple as you said, you're walking down the driveway, can you walk a serpentine? Can you set his right foot to the right? Can you set his left foot to the left? So you start to invite him to what I'm going to call the dance. You start inviting them into our world rather than we just kind of drag him down the driveway, just hope that he's still at the end of the rope, arrive, throw some tack on, get on, and then we say, Now I'm now ready I'm to ride. Yeah, yeah. now <laughs> I want to lead, but meanwhile the horse has been doing all the leading. Right. They don't do co-presidency. No. no Humans don't not. even do it, and they understand the concept. At some point, if there's two presidents of a club, and they have a differing opinion, at some point, one of them needs to decide, or there's got to be some kind of a compromise, but you just can't have really two leaders at the same time. No. No. And it can be, you know, 49-51%. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like... I'm 99 and you're 1%. Right. You know, it's, it's, it is like the dance partner, but someone always leads a dance. That's, otherwise, it's not a dance. <laughs> it's just sort right. of, a, it's sort of anarchy, anarchy and movement in a, in a dance floor. So somebody has to lead and direct. Right. That's the whole point of it. And I say we have to lead because for no other reason, we know to look for traffic. Right, right. We have the whole frontal lobe thing, right. which is super helpful. Yeah. Right. Again, they don't intend to get us hurt, but they make poor decisions for themselves. They do. And in making a poor decision for themselves, they've taken us with them. Right, right, right. And because we love them, we need to leave. It's like with children. Most parents are able to stop their child by saying their name. And with the horse, if we can't stop them by reaching, you know, for the lead rope or the bit or stop them with our leg, we might not be able to keep them safe. There might be a rattlesnake. There could be a hole. Another horse is going to kick him and they need to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to have them be responsive because we love them. Right. right. And then from there, we've 
that allows us to keep them safe, we can go on and take that response and shape it to, again, do, you know, really extraordinary things. And I think that leads really nicely into the topic of equine biomechanics, Mm -hmm. because I think that's something that is often misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And I can't claim to have studied it as exhaustively as you have, but that is definitely something that I've been paying a lot more attention to the last, let's say, four years, really understanding, like, it's not just directing the horse's feet any old way. Mm -hmm. It's directing the horse's feet in a way that they can feel straight and secure and have sort of... um, uh, start to build some suppleness, start to build some relaxation. You can move a horse around in its current braces. Again, I work with war horses off mm-hmm. the track. They know how to move their feet in braces. Right. So that's not, it's not, the, not that kind of moving the feet. It's not punitive either. It's not like you better move your feet because I'm upset with you. It's not like that at all. And also, even sometimes different disciplines, they can be very successful horses, very successful show horses. I've worked with some of these horses through Horsewise, that are all different breeds, and if they've been very competitive in some disciplines, they may have developed uh, braces or they've been rewarded for movement that actually doesn't serve them biomechanically over the long term. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to hear from you, like kind of your, your thought on how you came to really be so much more aware of biomechanics and how that's so important, not just in performance, but in in the horse's well-being. That's it. It's for the health of the horse. At this point in the conversation, Linda and I began a really interesting discussion about the role of biomechanics, not only in a horse's physical well-being, but also in their mental well-being and how that translates into such an ideal partnership between the horse and the rider. That part of the conversation was detailed enough that I felt I should split it up into a second part. So stay tuned for part two of the interview with Linda Hoover, and please go to our show notes for information on how to reach Linda and access her clinics and many other teaching opportunities. Thank you for listening, and as always, I hope you have a wonderful day.